BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, good friends. Good to see you and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable with insights into the latest political news from three of our top political reporters. Well, 32 days now before the midterms, and things are indeed heating up, especially in some key Senate races and nowhere more so than in Georgia, where Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker, campaigning as 100% anti-abortion, was hit this week with allegations from a former girlfriend that he had encouraged her to have an abortion back in 2009 and paid for it. On the House side, Speaker Pelosi announced that her PAC has raised over $134 million to support House Democratic candidates. Does that give her a chance to hold on to the speakership? President Biden dropped a big surprise yesterday, issuing a blanket pardon for anyone arrested for possession of marijuana under federal law. So will potheads say thank you by turning out to vote? And the Washington Post reports that federal prosecutors are primed to file tax evasion charges against Hunter Biden. Yep, just in time for the midterms. Here today to help us tangle, untangle it all, Igor Babish, congressional reporter for the Huffington Post, reporting today from Georgia. Hello, Igor. Hey, Bill. Mike King, political correspondent for the New York Times, based in the state of Georgia. Hi, Maya. Hi, Bill. And Alexandra Seitzwald, national political correspondent for NBC News and MSNBC Digital, who always has Georgia on his mind. <laughs> uh, hello, Alex. Morning, Bill. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Maya, you're in The New York Times this morning reporting from where's that little town? Wadley, Georgia, where yesterday uh, Herschel Walker appeared at a lumber yard um, issuing more denials about what his. Uh, former girlfriend has said. Uh, tell us uh, about how he did. What was that like? Well, Wadley is a town about two and a half hours outside of Atlanta, and it's really no easy trek to get there. But I, along with pretty much everyone in the Georgia News Corps and a handful of national reporters, uh, lined up at about 10 o'clock this morning or yesterday morning to uh, to see Mr. Walker before the event was moved to 1 p.m. So it was quite a day already. <laughs> Once we got there, I mean, the, the number of press and it, it kind of outnumbered anybody else. There were a few lumbermen and 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 a handful of supporters. Um, Walker gave a stump speech that had nothing to do really with politics or with his personal life. He talked about his time as a football player. He talked about his athletic career. He talked about his faith. In a press conference shortly after, um, he read from some prepared remarks and was asked a few questions about exactly what has taken place this week around whether or not he has been in touch with the women who are the mothers of his other children, uh, whether he has any response to his son Christian's rather inflammatory posts on Twitter directed towards him, um, and, and whether he still plans to debate Raphael Warnock in the one debate that they will meet up at next Friday. Um, and, and Walker 
really didn't have clear responses to nearly any of these questions. He continued to deny that he had financed a woman's abortion. He denied that he knew this woman at all. Um, he did uh, respond to a question of whether or not he was in touch with the mothers of his other children by saying, no, why would I be? And um, and debate uh, Warnock next Friday. But um, I think I speak for most of the folks in the press corps when I say I came away from that day feeling like not much had changed internally with the campaign and how they were thinking about their candidate or even in the mind of the candidate at all about what this means for his standing in the race now exactly 30 days before um, election day and 10 days before a very crucial early vote period. Another interview, not at that news conference, but either just before or just afterward, uh, in response to another uh, talk show host, he said something rather strange, I thought, uh, in response to uh, part of his denial. Uh, let's listen to that. Maya, I'd love to get your comment, and then we'll move on to Igor and Alex. Go ahead. The story about your paying for a woman's abortion, your response? I, I say the same thing I said, that uh, you know, I know this is untrue, and if that had happened, I would have I said it. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. Whoa. Uh, this is a man who says abortion is murder, nothing to be ashamed of. Maya, how does that help? Well, it, it he undercuts himself um, here, and it would not be the first time that he's done that. It's almost as if he feels that abortion is something that uh, no one should have unless he, it, it, <laughs> no one should have an abortion. But then it seemed that in his comments, he was making the case that should he have needed one or felt like one was required, he would have uh, done that. But that's not at all tracking with what he said um, earlier this week in denying the Daily Beast story. And it just didn't really follow um, his logic. I mean, this is someone yeah. who has said abortion bans at, at all costs with no exceptions for rape, incest or health of the mother. And then to go on conservative radio and say, well... I, I don't see anything necessarily wrong with it if that person would have needed it, but that's not something that I did. Igor, you're on the ground down there. What are voters telling you? What what, what are you finding in your reporting? Yeah, I actually um, stuck closer to Atlanta and some of the swing counties in metro Atlanta and talked to uh, a bunch of voters about the race, and, and I was curious to get their take about the abortion story, uh, given that we, we've heard so much about Republicans and how they are publicly rallying behind Walker. And I, I found much the same thing. Um, they were ready to hold their nose and, and vote for him. They, they didn't quite uh, love him. They weren't uh, enthralled by Herschel Walker. They um, called him dishonest. Uh, one man called him an idiot uh, that he can't you know put sentences together, but that they were willing to look past that given the alternative. Um, one woman, you know, said, we're all sinners and uh, we all <laughs> sin, things like that. And, uh, you know, uh, some some one man said, uh, you know, is Walker my favorite candidate? You got two choices. You pick the best of what you got. So it's it really seems like at least uh, among Republican voters, they're willing to uh, overlook the fact that uh, he apparently had paid his girlfriend for an abortion uh, and and um 
they're willing to uh, uh, overlook that if it means uh, taking the Senate in November. So, Alex, have we perceived any – I mean, this is a, one of the seats that Republicans felt best about being able to pick up. Have we seen any crack at all in Republican support? Uh, possibly, but it's hard to tell from the polling. And I think, like everything in politics, this would be at the margins. It would be uh, you know, people who don't feel like showing up, maybe a few people who switch from voting uh, Walker to – Raphael Warnock, but uh, you know we're so polarized now that people want the vote more than they want the person. They they want the control of the chamber and everything that comes with it, uh, which is, I mean, not an irrational calculation to make. You know, one senator doesn't necessarily have that much power. Uh, they're they're not the president. They're not the governor. Even you know Roy Moore got forty eight percent of the vote. Um, mm. He mm-hmm. lost, but he still got you know six hundred fifty thousand votes. People voted for him, so uh, it's. I, I think it could definitely hurt, um, and mostly by suppressing Republican turnout. But um, is it enough to you know fracture the coalition or to stop him dead in his tracks? I I don't think so. Uh, but in a state like Georgia, where you know Warnock won last year by just fraction of a, a percent it could it could absolutely be enough to, to swing things there has uh, walker is herschel walker is not the only walker that we have heard from this week um we don't know how many children uh in or outside of marriage that herschel walker has but one of them has certainly spoken out his son christian uh on several occasions here is just one of the more recent ones Family values, people. He has four kids, four different women, wasn't in the house raising one of them. He was out having sex with other women. Do you care about family values? I have a silent lie after lie after lie. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the card. He gets on Twitter. He lies about it. Okay, I'm done. Done. Everything has been a lie. I haven't told any stories. I'm just saying, don't lie. Don't lie on my mom. Don't lie on me. Don't lie on the lives you've destroyed and act like you're some moral family man. Y'all should care about that, conservatives. Maya, Christian Walker having any impact among voters? It's hard because I think that what's interesting here is that of all of the Republicans who have talked about Herschel Walker in the wake of the story on Monday, the one Republican voice that has been the most critical of Walker has been his own son. And I think there's this balance among particularly Republican leaders and strategists in the state between absolutely uh, eschewing Christian and saying, you know, this young man does not know what he's talking about, staying away from him altogether because of the sort of universal role in politics that you don't involve the kids here, um, and actually maybe believing that that is the death knell in Walker's campaign, that if his son is coming forward and confirming this, that's one of the that's the that's the source that's closest to this. Um, and I, I've talked to a few Republicans who have said, you know, we weren't so worried about the Daily Beast story because we felt like perhaps that was what was going to, um, you know, voters don't often trust the media in Republican circles. But when your son is coming forward, it's kind of a different story. Yeah. Igor, I have to ask you, um, as a journalist, uh, I wonder every story that I've read other than the Daily Beast uh, on HuffPost and New York Times, everywhere else, NBC, uh, they made a point of saying we have not independently confirmed or corroborated this story. 
should that concern us about the facts of this case? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, the Daily Beast seems to have exclusively gotten in touch with this woman. Yeah. Um, and they are the only the only organization that has Azar as a source. Um, we have no reason to doubt their reporting. Uh, you know, I, I know the editor over there, uh, Matt Fuller, who's a mm-hmm. former HuffPost uh, right. reporter, and I have extreme faith in him that, that they know what they're doing. And I have zero reason to doubt um, anything that they've reported so far. Um, that said, the credibility of Herschel Walker uh, wasn't 100% solid to begin with, even <laughs> before right. this this whole yeah. story broke. So I, I you know, personally, I, I have faith in the story. Uh, so, Alex, some Republicans I know are counting on Brian Kemp, the Republican governor, to carry the day, meaning that he seems to be comfortably ahead and by running well with his coattails, he could pull uh, Herschel Walker in. What do you think of that strategy? Is that real? I think it's real. Uh, It's not a slam dunk, but it's the best thing that they have going Mm. for them. If I were them, that's what I would be counting on Mm. too. Um, Kemp is, is more popular. He's been out polling Walker uh, this whole race. But that's also a dynamic we're seeing in a bunch of other states this year, which is unusual after a long period of people voting you know, straight down the ticket, Republican or, or Democrat. We're now seeing either the governor or the Senate candidate, usually the governor candidate, out polling the Senate candidate, um, which the polls suggest means there's a lot of people splitting their vote. So uh, it's it's no guarantee because they could turn out for Kemp and then leave the Senate line blank, or they could turn out for Kemp and then vote for right. Warnock. Um, but it will at least help get people to the polls, get Republicans to the polls. And once they're there, you know, you can hope they just hold their nose and fill in the bubble or, or whatever it is for, for Walker. But were there to be a runoff, which is it's the case in Georgia, if neither candidate gets 50% in a runoff, Kemp would not be on the ballot, right? That's right. And there is a third. So you need to cross 50 percent of the vote uh, and in order to avoid a runoff. And, and that's why we had those two Senate elections in January of last year of 2021. Um, so it's totally possible because there is a third candidate on the ballot that uh, neither Warnock or Walker quite pass the 50 the percent threshold. You know, they get 49 and 49 or, or whatever, um, which would lead to another super high stakes Mm-hmm. The whole world paying attention runoff, and and then yes, it would be just Walker versus just Warnock, without his uh, without his lifeline. Okay, if that was one October surprise this week, there was another one, an October surprise dropped by President Biden himself yesterday. Uh, breaking news: Stephen Colbert called it the Green New Deal. Um, let's let let Biden, uh, President Biden, tell us what it's all about. Here he is. Today, I'm taking three steps to end this failed approach. First, I'm announcing a pardon for all prior federal offenses for the simple possession of marijuana. There are thousands of people who are convicted for marijuana possession who may be denied employment, housing, or educational opportunities as a result of that conviction. My pardon will remove this burden on them. Second, I'm calling on all governors to do the same for state marijuana possession offenses. Third, the federal government currently classifies marijuana as a Schedule I substance, the same as heroin and LSD, and more serious than fentanyl. It makes no sense. 
So I'm asking the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the Attorney General to initiate a process to review how marijuana is scheduled under federal law. Maya, how do you read the impact of this uh, nationwide, particularly at this point just before the midterms? Well, I think it's really a very symbolic move because what it does is it opens up the door to, I guess, more uh, to, to sort of breaking down the barriers and, and um, even mentally sort of decriminalizing this, this marijuana in the minds of voters, especially young voters who have been clamoring for this. Um, and it's, of course, going to impact about 6,500 people who are currently in federal prison under marijuana charges. And I think the, the hope at the White um, that the White House is hoping and that a number of advocates are also hoping for is that this sets an example for, for states where a majority of people who have been imprisoned for small marijuana charges could perhaps have those charges revisited. Um, so it certainly has a social impact. I think it's, it's smart politics just before an election um, and it's, it has real-life impacts on people's lives. Particularly people of color, right? I mean, I think the vast majority of um, mainly young men in prison, federal or state, for marijuana possession um, are black. Absolutely. And that's going to, I mean, we've, we've seen just in talking with voters and looking at, at some preliminary data, a little bit of lagging among black voter, black voter enthusiasm heading into these midterm elections, this feeling among black voters that perhaps this White House has not fully delivered for them. And so one question that I have now is whether or not this changes that in the minds of, of a number of voters who just might not have felt like turning out this November. Igor, could you ever get this uh, measure through Congress? That's that's the um, the other piece of this is Congress would never do this on their own, right? Um, given unanimous Republican opposition and a handful of Democratic senators who are uncomfortable with um, uh, putting marijuana on the legalization path, so this was the administration's only option. And yesterday, Biden announced. Um, a couple different things, and I think the most most important one was uh, him directing uh, his administration to deschedule um, marijuana. Um, the the other announcement of, about pardons uh, was significant, especially for the people who who were charged with these crimes. But it will affect relatively few people. Um, so I think the more important piece here is uh, the 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 descheduling of uh, marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act. And Alex, when I heard the uh, announcement, I thought right away, if there's anybody who will benefit from this, uh, not personally, but uh, politically, it's um, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. This has been his issue. This, this is, yes, this has been such his issue that Biden called him uh, before he made the announcement to uh, you know, give him a heads up and kind of tell him congratulations because Fetterman has been pushing this. He actually got he used he as lieutenant governor he hung a uh, marijuana leaf flag from his balcony and he got <laughs> censured by the state legislature which is controlled by Republicans for doing that. Uh, but politically, the other thing that I think it does nationally is just shift the narrative back to more favorable ground for Democrats. Uh, you know, we've been in this kind of ping pong back and forth all year where we were talking about inflation that was good for Republicans. Uh, then, if, then there's more positive economic news, and the Congress started doing things, shifted back to Democrats. Now, in the past few weeks, uh, crime and immigration have started to come back into the fold. Better news for 
Republicans. So this is another controversial issue. It's it's risky, um, but if we're debating marijuana legalization, which has about two thirds support in the polls and and much higher levels uh, among young people, that's much more comfortable ground for for Democrats to be on and less comfortable ground for Republicans because, as Igor mentioned, uh, they are mostly opposed to this, even though the polling has shifted dramatically and now a majority of the country favors legalization. Yeah. And in fact, uh, 19 states uh, have um, uh, legalized recreational marijuana. Uh, some change, different differences among the states, but 19 states have gone that far. So this seems to be certainly uh, the trend. Uh, before making that announcement, President Biden uh, did what presidents do in terms of a national, in, in, where there's a national disaster. They visit the scene to comfort the people and provide federal help. Uh, President Biden did so in Florida uh, a couple of days ago and uh, went out of his way to say that uh, Ron DeSantis had done a pretty good job. Here's the president. What the governor's done is pretty remarkable. So far. First of all, the biggest thing the governor's done and some of the others have done, they recognize this thing called global warming. And then uh, Governor DeSantis took the microphone, speaking in back of the presidential seal, which must have made him feel good, uh, and complimented the president. We were fortunate. The White House uh, declared this very quickly. I don't even think it was a tropical storm yet. We declared the state of emergency on the Friday before the storm. It was a disturbance, but people knew that it could grow. So we appreciated that quick action. So, Maya, I didn't see Charlie Crist anywhere in the video. Um. <laughs> and and I, I wonder how the how the GOP will will frame his absence. I mean. Charlie Crist is also a former governor of Florida um, yeah. and, and knows how, how disaster response at the executive level um, would, would work here. It's already difficult to challenge an incumbent, especially an overwhelmingly popular incumbent like Ron DeSantis. And, and Crist has, has tried to go as negative as possible on the governor here to say, you know, that while he's been rather um, upfront about his job and is obviously very vocal about the things that he's doing, it's not actually helping a lot of Floridians. And I'll note as a point of, 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 of personal privilege, Chris was my was a governor of Florida when I was growing up in, in Florida. And I remember some of his disaster response too. Um, and so I felt like this was a really great opportunity perhaps for Chris to come forward and say, this is what I did versus what, what DeSantis is doing. But it seems like there's not a lot of room there because um, DeSantis mm -hmm. came out in front to uh, sort of, play nice uh, with President Biden and say, look, we're going to put this above politics right now. We just have to help people. Yeah, Igor, uh, it was too bad for Charlotte Chris, but at the same time, basically, it, it, there was nothing else that Biden or DeSantis could do, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's how these things go. He's not the governor right now. And as yeah. I'm sure you recall, uh, Chris's Republican career was, in essence, killed by another Democratic president, uh, uh, the hug that, you know, oh, down right. in Florida uh, yeah. that made such a um, controversy in Republican politics. <laughs> right, right. You know, Obama hugging Chris, yeah. and, and that, that was a, a death, death, death hug, essentially, um, that killed his career. And so then this time, the guy can't re really can't catch a break. Uh, yeah, the DeSantis did not give a hug or get a hug either. Uh, Alex, 
My favorite moment of the Florida one was when Joe Biden was talking with the mayor of Fort Myers, uh, Florida, and he uh, said to the mayor, uh, with a, not realizing maybe his mic was still on, nobody fucks with a Biden. <laughs> we just, I guess, just laughed that off as a hot mic moment, right? Doesn't have any... It's a, yeah, it's a classic uh, Bidenism, you know, it, yeah. it re- recalls the, the BFD moment um, after Obamacare <laughs> passed in the, right. in the White House. But it, the, this whole thing is also recalled to, for me another moment, another famous or infamous hug uh, from the Obama era when uh, Obama hugged Chris Christie yes. in New Jersey. Um, and it ended up being kind of a big problem for Chris Christie among Republicans to the point that he denied that there was a hug, you know, and and, and yeah. you could go back to the film and analyze whether it can, it's it's one arm on the shoulder, it's not two, is it really? But he, you know, when he ran for president later in the Republican primary, yeah. he had to keep answering for this. I know. So <laughs> I wonder if there's a little bit, um, you know, as much as there is any calculation to this. Yes, it hurts Charlie Chris in the short term, but I think Charlie Kiss Chris was was probably dead in the water anyway. Uh, I mean, there was a poll that just came out that showed him. 11 points down and that, and that was before you know most of this um could have had any effect but uh biden's looking ahead to to 2024 potentially yeah. when ron DeSantis might be running and now you know him saying it and and him particularly him saying that DeSantis had accepted global warming as a, a valid oh right you know thing that could be used against uh ron DeSantis in the future all right, there is some other other uh, news of the week that we want to get to. Uh, Maya King has a very important assignment. She's got to take off for, uh, so we will wrap up the rest of the week with Igor Babish and Alex. But Maya, be, thank you for joining us. Before we let you go, uh, can you share with us what your favorite story of the week was? Oh gosh, I mean, honestly, this this Walker story on Monday has uh, overwhelmed my life. Uh, the details out of it, I truly just want to elevate again. It's it's pretty remarkable exactly what has taken place here. And I think, I mean, the the post also came back with a really smart story that sort of outlines every moment this morning of um, of Walker's address, trying to get Republican operatives in Georgia to join his campaign early as. 2021 before he actually launched his campaign. And it just goes through the number of folks who actually stepped aside because they felt mm-hmm. like they had too much baggage. So mm-hmm. I am, I am very much uh, on in, in, I have Walker brain right now. So I'm right. that's <laughs> the funnest story, but I do want to highlight just the really great political coverage that has come out of this moment right now. And we haven't mentioned and probably should that this woman now added that uh, Herschel Walker is also the father of one, or she is the mother of one of his children, uh, the four children that Christian uh, Walker talked about. Uh, the plot thickens there. Maya, we'll let you go. Thank you. Uh, and uh, Igor and Alex, stay right there with us. And all the rest of you, hang in there as we take a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. Then we'll be right back and wrap things up. Today's podcast, today's roundtable is brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, a Teamsters union, the largest and the most diverse of all of America's labor unions with over one and a half million members representing every aspect of the American workforce from vegetable workers in California, construction workers in Las Vegas to brewery workers in St. Louis to bakers in Maine, as they say they represent Everybody from A to Z in the workforce, from airline pilots to zookeepers, under the leadership of the new Teamster president, Sean O'Brien. 
We salute the Teamsters, thank them for their good work, and thank them particularly for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with today's roundtable, flying with two engines now instead of three. Igor Babish uh, from uh, Huffington Post and NBC News, MSNBC's Alex Seitzwald uh, as well. As we get into the midterms, speaking politics, Donald Trump made a very interesting announcement this week that certainly um, I I found stunning. Uh, Here is the president talking about how popular he is. I remember a very famous pollster, very well-known, John McLaughlin, came to my office just prior to the play coming in. He said, sir, if George Washington and Abraham... Lincoln came alive from the dead and they formed a president, vice president team, you would beat them by 40%. What do you think, Alex? (laughs) Uh, Well, I, you know, I I do do think if there were uh, zombies from the 17th century who would probably have some outdated views on all kinds of things, uh, they might, they might politically struggle a little bit to connect with um, average workers, but uh, <laughs> uh, some classic Trumpian uh, hyperbole. I mean, um, you know, he he loves to brag about his the, the size of his poll numbers and how large they are. Uh, and but but um, you know, more seriously, if there is anything serious to be said, uh, Trump is he's been off Twitter. He's been out of the spotlight and. The, the, the iron grip that he had on the party is a little bit unclear. His movement certainly has an iron grip on the party still, but um, he wants to run for president again, and you have people like Ron DeSantis, who we were just talking about, uh, moving mm-hmm. up in there. So I think anything he can do to project sort of an air of inevitability and dominance um, works to his advantage. Well, certainly, if there was any doubt that he has, the man has an oversized ego that sort of uh, takes care of that. I uh, I just wanted to add that, you know, we saw a perfect example last week of his 
grip on the party, which was um, his his Truth Social post, his tweet or whatever it is, um, calling uh, uh, Elaine Chow, his former transportation oh, secretary, God. by a racist yeah. nickname, um, and you know saying McConnell has a death wish. And, you know, since, in the week since, nobody has no, uh, condemned right. it other than Liz Cheney, who is already a fierce Trump critic. Every Republican senator has kept quiet. You know, Rick Scott was asked about it, and he said, uh, well, we should all avoid racist nicknames. Yeah. Kind of, you know, skirting that question. And, it, you know, that shows you just how much he is still popular in the Republican Party. Igor, I was surprised that Mitch McConnell himself didn't um, condemn the president in very harsh terms for attacking his wife and and using that racist term of, to, for his wife. Yeah, you would think you would think one would uh, do that, yeah. but uh, you know, one, once you get in McConnell's head, it makes sense for him not to do so. Uh, he's worried about the Senate, and his modus operandi has been. You know, don't do anything that will rock the boat uh, mm-hmm. before a critical Senate election, and that has meant uh, staying quiet when, when stories like this pop up. Uh, so I think that's what he's doing now. So Alex, um, Igor mentioned Liz Cheney as kind of an outlier among Republicans. Uh, she proved so again this week, um, basically equating uh, the Trump Republican Party uh, as being— Putin's party. Here is still the congresswoman from Wyoming. The Republican Party is the party of Reagan, the party that essentially won the Cold War. Um, And you look now at what I think is really a growing Putin wing of the Republican Party. And you see news outlets like Fox News um, running propaganda. You watch it not just on Tucker Carlson's show, although he is the biggest propagandist for Putin on that network. Um, but you see it on many of their shows, and you, you really have to ask yourself, um, you know, who, whose side is Fox on in this battle? So, Alec, how do you assess this—it's uh, hard to say there's an internal stronger struggle within the Republican Party. It's just there's yeah, some— the, just, the struggle's over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> uh, so is she, you know, making any headway here in, t- in trying to get the party— back not not being the trump party or is that gone uh no i think is the short answer yeah um but i think she is making headway uh for herself in you know trying to find some kind of uh Uh, yeah future home beyond the republican party um and that kind of rhetoric you know plays very well uh with especially a certain set of uh democrats and and liberals and it's it's kind of very similar to the Lincoln project and what, you know, those folks associated uh, former Republicans um, kind of never Trumpers have been saying. So, you know, I think she's going to continue leveling her critiques. There's probably a uh, minority of people in the Republican party who are nodding along quietly um, Mm -hmm. and are happy to have her saying it, but they don't want to stick their neck out and say it themselves. Um, but, you know, I think at this point you have to consider her audience, and I, I don't think her audience is really fellow Republicans. I think it's it's us in the media and it's um, Democrats and independents and um, pretty much everyone outside of the, the, the Republican base. 
Uh, and Igor, I wanted to ask you about a story uh, that you have up on the Huffington Post this morning, uh, where this is looking back at the second impeachment trial, where the um, Trump's attorneys were doing such a lousy job that Republican senators had to jump in and bail Donald Trump out. That, I hadn't heard that story before. Yeah, that's right. Um, some new details in uh, a forthcoming book that's coming out this month by uh, Politico's Rachel Bade and uh, The Washington Post's Karun, um, that uh, it's called Unchecked, and it really goes into the two impeachment trials of Donald Trump and all the behind-the-scenes maneuvering by the Republican Party. And uh, I've, got, I've got some exclusive details about the first impeachment trial uh, dealing with uh, Ukraine and, and Trump's uh, uh, telling the Ukrainian president to do us a favor uh, in exchange for, for lethal aid uh, and opening an investigation into the Bidens. And uh, some good stuff in this book uh, about how Republicans were so worried um, when they saw what Trump's lawyers were saying at the time, that he could act with total impunity uh, if he believed it was good uh, for the country. Um, you know, Lindsey Graham at one point screamed, uh, we are effed. Um, mm -hmm. Roy Blunt urging Trump's team to fire uh, an attorney at the time, Alan Dershowitz. And Ted Cruz contradicting what, what Republicans were saying at the time, saying that that they should admit that there was a quid pro quo and move on and just call it, you know, not impeachable. So a lot of good stuff in this book, and I urge people to pick it up this, this month. Uh, uh, Alex, uh, finally, uh, Igor references Hunter Biden there yesterday evening. The evening news and this morning's Washington Post and New York Times, both front page, uh, reporting on a leak that um, allegedly the federal attorney in U.S. attorney in Delaware is ready to file charges against, to feel that he's got a strong case, enough to file charges against Hunter Biden for tax evasion and making a false statement when he bought a gun. Um, if this happens, um, impact on Joe Biden, or is it just one more president's member of a family, right, who uh, causes some uh, bad press? Well, yeah, he's definitely uh, winning the competition for, for fail son of the year. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's frankly not too surprising uh, once you read into the, you know, what Hunter Biden was up to, very that, that he broke some law along the way or, or possibly several. Um, but, I, you know, politically, I think the main impact would be on the Republican base. It's, it's, a, it's an effective issue for them to care about. It kind of reminds me of like Benghazi um, against mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Where you know independent voters, Democrats, the media didn't really care about the story. Um, but if you had been watching Fox News and reading conservative media for a long time, you were already well versed in it, and it um, you know increases your intensity, your desire to vote, your volunteer, donate, etc. Um, I think Biden, because of he's sort of a unique character in politics, and that people still seem to view him with having a integrity and honesty. So I think people would give him the benefit of the doubt here uh, in a way they wouldn't for most politicians if he says, and there's no reason, you know, there's no evidence that he was not involved in any of this. Of course, if there is evidence that Biden was actually involved in anything that Hunter Biden was doing, that changes things uh, dramatically. But if anybody can ride out something like this, it's <laughs> Biden. Right. 
Uh, it's interesting. I saw one legal analyst uh, make, but I thought it was a good observation that this investigation in Hunter Biden, and by the way, Republicans are already talking about if they take back the House, right, there's going to be 15,000 hearings about on, on, Joe, on Hunter Biden. They're, they're already planning that. But this legal analyst made the point that it reminded him of the Whitewater investigation with Ken Starr started on that and ended up far from where they started and ended up with Monica Lewinsky. The Hunter Biden story, as we recall, was all about getting millions of dollars in bribes from Ukraine involving the vice president and all da 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 and it ends up sort of like Al Capone with being charged for not paying his taxes, maybe, at least if it goes that far. So uh, we'll see how that We'll see how that plays out. And with that, uh, let's wrap up the week, even though we didn't touch everything that happened this week. And before we let you go, um, get your favorite story of the week, the one thing that stopped you in your tracks and said, oh, my God, look at that, uh, made you laugh or weep or cry or whatever. Um, Igor, what caught your attention? Uh, not really a favorite story. I just wanted to yes, put a, put a spotlight right. on it. Um, the the protests that are going on in, in Iran now, oh in yes, third week, uh, coming on four weeks now, are are just uh, wild to see, given given the history of repression in that country, and the the bravery and courage, especially of young girls who are protesting, mm -hmm. um, the the death of uh, Masa Amini in, in police custody, is so great to see. Um, and you know you worry a little bit about the backlash and 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 uh, the police coming cracking down on this, um, but it's been so fascinating to see all the clips online about the videos, all these young girls, young students protesting and and uh, cutting off their hair in uh, in solidarity. Um, and uh, I, had a, I have a Persian friend of mine who noted that uh given all the you know attention the ukraine story got here in the us the, the the protests in iran don't seem to be getting as much interest and so i just i really uh i agree kind of agree with that sense of sentiment so i wanted to highlight that uh i'm glad you mentioned that it is stunning to see protests in iran of all places right uh just as it was to see the protests against the war in ukraine uh in russia right the places that we don't yeah. normally see uh, public demonstrations of protest against actions by the government. Uh, Alex, what caught your attention this week? Uh, much less serious, but uh, exciting, especially for those of us in the D.C. area with small children. The uh, Air and Space Museum is reopening oh. after oh. being closed for months. Uh, it's part of a $900 million renovation uh, that is undergoing. Um, it's going to open next week. So I'm very excited to check it out with my uh, two-year-old when it opens, I think, on the 13th. It is the um, your two-year-old Phoebe, correct? That's right. Uh, it is, I still think, the most visited of all the Smithsonian museums. It's amazing to watch them, uh, the, this whole new construction, building this whole new wing and uh, enlarging the size of that museum. So if it was the most visited before this, it's going to be even more so once Alex, it opens. Alex, can I tag along? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uncle, Uncle Igor is welcome anytime. Oh, awesome. You have to wear your spacesuit, uh, Igor. Right. <laughs> well, for my favorite story of the weekend, boy, I am the last one, as uh, most of our listeners would know, uh, to come up with a sports story of the week. But still, I want to take us all back to Tuesday night in Arlington, Texas. Oh, fly ball. 
There it is. How exciting. Aaron Judge home run number 62 with no steroid help from steroids. Uh, a great, great feat uh, by Aaron Judge. And my, uh, what I found particularly exciting was the young man, Corey Humans, who took his glove <laughs> to the game, uh, had a seat in the front row of Section 31 in left field at Glove Life Field in Arlington, Texas, and caught that ball for which he has now been offered $2 million. You know, and when I see when I go to a ball game and I see people with a glove, I just think they're crazy. If I find a ball coming toward me, I duck under the seat. I don't, I don't want to jump up and try to catch it. But, you know, Alex and Igor, maybe um, we should all do that from now on. Who knows, right? You, There's my retirement right there. I just got to go to more baseball games, I guess. You know, he probably paid 15 bucks for his seat, right? And he walks out with a baseball walk worth $2 million. God. Pretty good uh, ROI on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God bless America. God bless baseball. Okay. Alex Seitzwald from NBC News. Igor Bobbage from Huffington Post. Thank you so much for joining us today. And another big thank you to Mike King as well. And thanks to all of you, Bill Press Pod regulars, for listening here to, the, um, to today's roundtable. We'll be back on Tuesday, the next edition of the Bill Press Pod, and we're going to be talking with a great guy, Tim Miller, a former top Republican campaign manager and strategist who has never been a Trumper and is really uh, very disgusted with the direction uh, his former party has taken. Uh, he's written a new book about it called Why We Did It, How We Let Trump Kill, destroy uh, the Republican Party. Tim Miller now writes for the Bulwark. Looking forward to that. I hope you are too. So have a great weekend. Uh, take care of yourselves. Come back to see us Tuesday with Tim Miller on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>